Welcome to Teamwork, A Better Way, the podcast filled with stories, experiences, and insights from leading high-performing team experts. Here are your hosts, Spencer Horn and Christian Napier. Well, hello, everyone, and Happy New Year. It's wonderful to join you on the 2nd of January. I'm Christian Napier, joined by my incredible host and expert of just about everything under the sun. And I, I'm not saying that to be pedantic or or to not pedantic. What is the word? Uh, to be flattering, but I mean it sincerely. Uh, Spencer Horn. Spencer, Happy New Year. How are you? Great, great. Keep up the obsequious uh, uh, flattery. I, lo- I, I love it. No, so good to be with you, Christian. And in, in, we're getting close to starting our, our fifth season here. Can you believe it? I mean, really close. I'm I, I, I just, every time I get to meet with you is is exciting. In the beginning of this year, January second, what a great way to start our new year. Well, yeah, I'm I'm excited for this new year. Twenty twenty three was a really really challenging year uh, for for me personally, professionally. But I'm looking forward to twenty twenty four with a lot of optimism, and I'm super excited for our conversation with our guest today. You've lined up an incredible guest, Spencer. So. Why don't you go ahead and introduce him? Absolutely. Today we have Oliver F. Lehmann, and he is coming to us from Munich, Germany. So we're excited. He's made time for us uh, this evening in in Germany. And he focuses on project business, and he helps contractors raise professionalism and profitability of their customer projects. He gives insights into what it means to run a pro- a project as a profit center. That may be new a concept for for some people, but and he advises on how to meet the specific challenges of project business. And he's been a trainer for the PMP, which is you know one of the most prestigious certifications that you can achieve in in business, uh, really provided by the Project Management Institute. And he's been doing that since two thousand and one. And from t- 2013 until 2018, he served as the president of PMI Southern Germany chapter. He's written two books, 50 plus papers. I, I just have to do this. I, I was looking on his LinkedIn profile because he was so modest about when I asked him for his bio, he gave me a paragraph of like three sentences, Christian. And so I, I went on his LinkedIn and did a little bit of snooping. You know, I like to, to, to stalk people to learn a little bit about them. He has a master's of science in, in project management, project management PMP. He's an authorized training partner, um, in, instructor with uh, ATP project management student. He's a certified scrum master, uh, approved consultant educator with ACE, uh, the, the project business foundation, Microsoft trainer. Now he's got some other bona fides, but I want to read them in German. So he is a <laughs> Congress Vorträge, Vorträge, I think that's the right way to say it. I forgot the umlaut is not correct. Congress Vorträge, which means he lectures at congresses. He's a Seminar Entwicklung, which means he develops seminars. Norman Entwicklung, that's standardization. Unterstützung von PMO. So that's a support of PMOs, which is Project Management Office. This one you might be able to understand. Coaching for Project Business. Um, <laughs> and this one, Project Management Audits. Um, Akademischer Gastdozent. If I translate that directly, uh, Oliver, that seems like a guest docent. Is that correct? Would that be a, a literal translation? And in English, you could say visiting uh, professor. Yeah, visiting professor, but, but I, I liked calling it the, the Gastdozent. Yeah. Uh, we are yeah, so excited. Is, uh, very strange word we have in Germany. Yes. We have Teacher. Lots of, stra- lots of strange words. I, I, love, I love the German language. My father is German. Okay. So I, I learned one ah. or two. You, you didn't know that. Horn sounds very German to me. Yeah. H O R N. Evan Danzig geboren. That's a German family name. Yes. Very common right. here. Wonderful, wonderful. We're so glad to have you. And you and I met the first time, I believe, you created a uh, a program, uh, kind of a nonprofit or a fundraiser. And you do this occasionally for uh, peoples around the world who are suffering. Uh, I met you last March when you were actually raising funds for the the people in Turkey who were experiencing Mm -hmm. homelessness because of the fires that just were ravaging the, the country. 
And I was a guest speaker on your program to help raise money for that. And that was a very worthy cause that you do from time to time. You still do that? I think you have another one coming. I still do that. But before we go into details of that, just let me say welcome. Um, Thank you for having me and uh, happy new year 2024 and all those nice things. I hope you had wonderful Christmas and uh, and so on. Yeah. And a year that will uh, uh, satisfy all your wishes and so on. Something very nice at the beginning of the year. Yes, we are doing this again. We will have a next event on 2nd and 3rd February. It will be around the clock. It will be a 24-hour conference with one other speaker per hour. So these speakers are also around the world because we have them sitting in different time zones, similar as you saw them. We have mostly new speakers now. We didn't use the same speakers again. We want to see new faces. We want to have new topics in. So sorry for not inviting you this time. Maybe oh, no, time that was great. <laughs> but you, maybe you ought to talk yeah, but to the idea is really that. to have yeah i have to, to to bring new people in and this time it will be for uh, uh um, doctors without borders for medicines of frontier um for their work in palestine where they are really needed there is a lot of suffering there at the moment especially children suffering there and it's very very important to bring them to bring them help yeah no doubt and we are so grateful for that work that you're doing and to raise awareness to raise to raise money to put really to help those that in, are in need is, is such a great uh, a great cause thank you for for doing that would you just as we get started today tell us a little bit about your journey into project management you have years of experience in this why did you get into yes. this and specifically your focus on project business and and the profit center of, of that where where did this come from first of all my own history uh, I wouldn't say started in projects, but went early in the project direction. I think most of us have been accidental project managers. We were project managers. We were managing projects without really knowing what we were doing. I was in an environment, we didn't use the word project, project management at all. We talked about um, chemistry and process uh, uh, technology and uh, such things in the automotive industry mostly. This is where I come from. And uh, I wasn't formally the project manager. De facto, I slipped into this role without really, really being aware of that. And uh, I had two problems there. One problem was I actually had another job, which came a bit short then. And uh, the other, the other problem was it was a lot of fun. It is so much fun to organize things, to talk with people, to resolve problems. And uh, at the end, to see things working out as you need them, as you want them to work out, and this they need to work out. So, and this is a lot of fun and a lot of um, uh, uh, satisfaction that it brings. Yeah. Then in 1994, I had a problem um, that I was, uh, after my separation from my first wife, that I was a single parent. I had a son at home at about 10 years old. And uh, I couldn't do my project job anymore. I came from automotive industry, which means a lot of traveling all around the world. And I couldn't do this anymore. So I had to find something new. And this took me then into training. And the very first years, I wasn't really in project management. It wasn't the topic. 1995, not many people talked about project management, but it was just taking up. And then in 1998, uh, and then the year 2000 and so this was then the time when this really took off this is also the time when i uh, had my pmp certification 2001 since that time i'm on the market as a trainer with certification and with lots of other things and how what what brought me then into project business this is actually where my where my roots were this is how i knew project management when i did it i was rarely in internal projects. I was in projects for a contractor organization and uh, this organization worked for paying customers, manufacturing mostly with a focus on automotive, but not only automotive. I was in many industries, including food industry and uh, uh, timber and lots of others, but the focus was on automotive. And uh, I noticed over the years that our focus in Project management at PMI, in literature, in whatever you look, academia, wherever you look, 
uh, PMI, of course, yeah, the focus shifted more and more towards internal projects. And uh, I said, hey, this this is not my not my history. This is not where I come from. Now, this is not how I uh, saw project management. Then I asked people, where do you where where are you active as a project manager? Are you in an internal project or are you in a customer project? And more than fifty percent said um, we are in customer projects. And this wasn't just once; it was repeatedly. Whenever I asked people, they said, "No, we are in customer projects." So I, I was not the only one. And uh, the big difference between a customer project and an internal project, in most cases, not always, there are exceptions, but in most cases, internal projects are cost centers and customer projects are profit centers. So that's the uh, title of the talk that we have today. And uh, I missed I missed this understanding that sometimes the project is not there to support a business. It is the business. It has to bring money home. Project managers manage profit centers. And uh, this is the topic that I'm, I'm interested in now. And uh, there is one more person around the world who is involved in that topic, guy from Canada who is already retired, I think. And that's it. No one talks about that. I have no idea why. Such you a know, big business. And, and this, is, this leads us, and we have a, a guest that is listening that is totally on board with what you're saying, uh, who's also from Canada, actually by way of UK. Um, FOLA says projects drive strategy, organizations leverage projects to be profitable. She's a, a big believer in the profitability of, of projects. But that leads to my, <coughs> my first question. Excuse me. Can you elaborate on the shift from viewing projects as a cost center? You just talked about internal projects are typically cost centers to recognizing them as profit centers. Why was there such a difference between external projects and internal projects being considered yeah, and and do you still see that today, where internal projects are not considered profit centers? An internal project is, I would say, ninety nine point nine percent of the cases is a cost center. Um, think of a of an automotive company, for instance. What is it? How do, how they make their money? They make their money by building cars, selling cars, maybe selling spare parts for that, and so on. That's all operational business. That's day by day business. Um, and if you are in such an organization as a project manager with an internal project, you are a disruptive factor first of all. You take some space away that they need for production or for development or for other things for their ongoing. Um, operations, you take away people from them, you take away management attention. The most important uh, resource of all is management attention. And you compete for uh, management attention with operations. And these operational managers, yeah, department managers, division managers, and so on, they will not like that. And so you run into some conflicts, conflicts of power sometimes, of influence, yeah, of attention with them. And typically they will be in the stronger position because they bring the money home. You as a project manager, you don't bring money home. You create a lot of costs. And maybe what you do is the future of the organization, but they are the presence of the organization. And the presence is always stronger than the future. That's different. There we have it. Hey, Sorry, that's that very was, shocking. Yeah, that, <laughs> it, it, it was such a profound statement. I had to, I had to punctuate that. Don't you agree, Christian? Okay, uh, it, it okay. was a profound statement, but I apologize for cutting you off. But uh, we told you that might happen. <laughs> it's not a problem. <laughs> I'm a trainer. I'm used to be profound. cut off. <laughs> I'm a trainer. I be. I'm used to be cut off, and if no one cuts me off. That's more concerning. I don't know whether people are still with me, whether they still listen to me and have something to say on that or whether they are about to fall asleep or so. Yeah. Right. Now let's look into profit centers. It's different if you have a project that brings money home. You are in a customer project and the majority, again, not all of them, there are exceptions to that, but the majority of customer projects are there to bring money home. The organization that does it, the contractor, gets paid for the work, for deliveries, for services, for the work they provide, for the 
customer. So the project manager brings money home. This has, first of all, a benefit for the project manager. You are in a stronger position. You are in a more influential position. I know it got a bit out of out of customs to talk about matrix organizations, weak matrix and strong matrix. But typical for an internal project is the weak matrix where the project manager is in a weak position in a customer project. You are exceptions again. Don't forget exceptions. But in most cases, in most cases, you're in a strong matrix position because A, you bring money home. B, the project is under contract. If you don't do your job, if others don't support you to do your job, then the organization runs into a situation of breach of contract. And majority of people, majority of organizations don't want to be in a breach of contract situation because, you know, this can lead to a lot of trouble. So the benefit, first of all, is that your influence, your power inside the organization in most organizations, not in all of them, but in most organizations, is much, much stronger. It comes with a, with a flip side. The flip side is um, risks are going up. In addition to project risks, which we have in all kinds of projects, we also now have legal risks. We have commercial risks. A commercial risk, someone, customer, contractor, may go bankrupt, for instance. Yeah? So we have to take care of commercial risk. We have to manage commercial risk. We have to manage legal risks. If something goes really wrong, really badly, poorly and wrong, then this may end at a court of law. An internal project, in the worst case, ends under the rug of management. Yeah? But a customer project ends at a court of law. So this adds risks and this adds a lot of complexity. Then another uh, area of complexity, we have several organizations involved and they have different interests, totally different business interests. I made a lot of surveys on the topic of project business. And one of these surveys was, um, what is the number one cause in, in, in your perception, in your experience, in your observation, the number one cause um, for, uh, for, for trouble in projects, in customer projects, in project business? And uh, the number one was different business interests among the parties involved. Number two, by the way, was incompatible organizations. And number three was incompatible individuals, big egos. This was a number three. But number one is different business interests. So you have to take care. In, in, inside an organization, an internal project, the business interest in general is the same of all of them. Of course, there are some power there are some power struggles and there's politics and so on. But the basic business interest is the same. Now, in addition to power struggle and to to to, to um, fighting for 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 influence, we also have different business interests. So it's a more difficult task. All right. So I have a ton of questions because this this topic is super interesting to me. I have spent. I would say 29 of my 30 years in a professional career in this project business space, mostly in technology. And I noticed early on when I was working at uh, IBM in the 90s, I'd be like, now hold on here. We have some clients that are wildly successful and we have other clients who just fall on their faces and they fail. I, I was part of a $5 million mm -hmm. implementation of uh, Oracle uh, financials that that just was a disaster. And I and I asked myself, why? You know, why is it that we have some as project businesses? You know, why do we have some clients that succeed and others fail? And I determined at that time that the variable was the client uh, and that, you know, <clears throat> but I noticed that that when we were writing contracts, our our contracts naturally were written to to preserve our own self-interest. So the contract becomes fundamental. It is the fundamental linchpin of this whole uh, relationship. And I'm curious to hear from your perspective, what what is the differentiator between a contract that sets everybody up to win versus contracts that set people up to fail? Because I've seen... I've seen both. And, you know, what is the approach that you take 
And what is the advice that you would give to people when they are trying to establish this contractual relationship? Because you got attorneys or lawyers on on all sides, you know, that are all fighting for the the interests of their clients. How do you set it up to be win win versus we all just cover our own butts? How much time do I have to answer? <laughs> that's not a, that's not a that's not a one one sentence answer. That's a long thing. Yeah. Um, where I where I learned that, this is something I can tell you. First of all, where I learned that um, was NASA. NASA at the end of the 20th century was in a deep, deep crisis. One mission after the other failed, three missions to Mars and many other things. And uh, each of them, it's billion, billions of dollars that are destroyed when such a project goes wrong. And then they had a mishap board on one of these failed projects. The climate orbiter and uh, without going too much into technical details what they found out is there was a very basic very simple misunderstanding between nasa as a customer and uh, one of their contractors which was lockheed lockheed in uk by the way about measurement units they communicated numbers without the measurement units and uh, for nasa it was clear that these measurement units are um, metric units yeah. And uh, for Lockheed, it was clear, it went without saying for both of them, yeah, um, that this is in, in, in non-metric units, in, in pound seconds, yeah, instead of Newton seconds. Yeah. And so they had the wrong numbers by a factor of over four wrong numbers, and this thing got lost somewhere in space. Yeah. And then they asked, okay, what can we do better? And what they said is, um, we have to develop a new motto, a new paradigm for how we do projects with our contractors. And that's really what they say about this. It's a new paradigm. And the paradigm says mission success first. And I think this is the key point. This is the, the, the focus point where we can ask, which is a good contract, which is not a good contract. If we have a contract which puts mission success first, then, and if all parties stand behind that and support that and live that then this project can be very very successful then they talk with each other free from fear yeah free from the fear that whatever you say today could be part of a lawsuit tomorrow and be used against you yeah? everything you write down could be used against you if you have this um this mission success first paradigm all over the customer, contractors, subcontractors, and so on, and they all support that, then I think you have a good chance to be successful. It's still not a guarantee, but you have a good chance of being successful. If you have a contract which is much more dominated by CYA, you know, CYA, cover your back. Yeah? CYA, if this is the, the most important aspect of the contract, and it's always one side CYA, customer, most cases probably, yeah, because they write the contracts and their lawyers um, write the contracts. So if this is the most important thing, um, I think you are on a, I wouldn't say inevitable, but on a likely way to, to failure because mission success is not in the foreground. What is in the foreground is how can we protect ourselves if the mission fails. How can we make it the failure of the other party? And uh, at this point in time, you destroy trust, you destroy rapport, you destroy communications between organizations. In project business, trust is the most important, the strongest driving force that we have. If you have trust inside the project, you have less bureaucracy, less red tape, you're much, much faster, everything goes easier, but trust the wrong people and they will rip you off. So it's a different. I, I, want to I wanted to finish my work. sentence. It's a different game. It's a different <laughs> game, whether you work with trustworthy people or with not trustworthy people. And often we don't know it. Yeah. yeah. What's the German word for backside? Backside? Rücken? Yeah. Cover your gluten. Yeah. <laughs> Cover Christian, your backside. Yeah. Cover your Christian, backside. I know. I know you have a follow up on that because that that was a great answer. No, I Thank you. I absolutely love uh, that response because 
you know, what I was noticing back in the 1990s, primarily when I was working with these contracts is uh, from a, from a provider perspective, you know, we were trying very hard to say, okay, um, we have this scope of work. We have this list of deliverables and that's what we're, you're going to provide. And if the project fails, well, that's on you because we just did our part. So give us the money and pay us. And I, uh, I like the approach that you're talking about, which is, hey, we're all in this together. And ultimately, we are all striving for the same project uh, outcome and the mission outcome. I like, I like the idea of using that term mission uh, you know, beyond the NASA approach. But sometimes, Absolutely. you know, that's not entirely within the realm or control of the of the contractors right so i'll give you an example i uh i've worked on several olympic bids you know working for bid cities and there's a a a lot of technical work that has to be done to develop the master plans and so on and so forth and there's international relations components to that and communications and production elements for all the presentations but ultimately the decision is made by 100 some odd members of the International Olympic Committee, and they're going to choose who they're going to choose. And so one of the questions I have for you is, how do you determine what the what success of the mission means? Because, you know, for a bid city, in, in, in this case, you know, the city is thinking, well, success is we win, right? <laughs> for the contractor, understanding, well, uh, we, we, uh, we might not win, uh, you know, you may say, well, we'll take some element of the risk. You know, if, if, uh, if you don't win, um, you know, then we don't collect all of our payment. Maybe we collect 80% of it or something like that. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we're willing to share in the risk, but this definition of success or the successful completion of the mission or outcome, I think is absolutely critical. So what recommendations do you give to, contractors, subcontractors, as well as the clients who are hiring them on how they can effectively define what the successful outcome of a mission is. The definition of the successful outcome of the mission is something the customer has to do because the customer is your target stakeholder. You work for this customer and it's also the target stakeholder of subcontractors and sub-subcontractors and so on and there may be more than one customer by the way i have some projects where you have hundreds of customers and lots of contractors working for hundreds of customers so even there may be more than one but they have to agree on the mission on what they mean what mission success actually is so if you are a contractor i know it's difficult to influence the customer and it's again a matter of communications it's a matter of um of trust it's a matter of maybe of leadership yeah um step up yeah upward leadership yeah not downward leadership upward leadership but what i would try to do is at least um i would try to um influence the customer and say hey clarify for you what does it mean when you say mission and mission success have a clear clear statement what constitutes mission success for you and by the way that's a very difficult task i did this with the company some years ago as a workshop it took us two days and at the end we had a mission statement with four words yeah amazing. but finding you know, these four words so is very difficult and and there's a i'm getting comments from all over and some are coming maybe from your linkedin and some from mine but here's a comment that really ties into what we're talking about from mark langley he says hello oliver i would argue that communication is the most paramount in projects and and so that's really what you're talking about is is how do we how do we define the success and that really comes down to effective communication and 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 building that that trust and so Thank you for, for that for that comment. And Thank you, Mark, very much, and happy to have you here. Very very nice that you're here with us. Yeah. I, I don't. I think this one was referring to our backside comment earlier. I'm not really sure. Retten deinen Arm, ja genau. Save your save your backside, yeah. That's right. I think that's what that meant, and I was I was the uh, uh, <laughs> extension of the backside. Exactly. Um, so let's talk about. Y- y- you talk about this 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 need for getting the the business um, 
to be you know compatible the different business departments talking about personalities becoming compatible aligning interests those are things that you've talked about all for the purpose of leading towards a profitable business center so you've talked a lot about these these three things that that maybe are important to 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 create that that profitability but what's the what is the biggest variable that is preventing that transition to this this mindset of internal project profitability? Because if you say 99% of them are still looking at this as a cost center, what's the holdup? What's the barrier that you're seeing? To be honest, I haven't fully understood it. To me, it would go without saying, it would go without saying that all our opinion makers including associations, including academia, literature, and so on, look at projects as they are. And the majority of projects today is project business. They're not just there to support a business, they are the business. And from both sides, from customer side and from contractor side, they are the business now. So what I would say is, um, why don't we simply look at project management as it is done today? Yeah. And, and I uh, think that's and I think it, it, you're talking around it, and I think that's the answer. And to me, I think the variable, Oliver, is that yeah. project managers are not, they're project-minded and not business-minded. They are not prepared for that. They are not educated for that, yes. absolutely. But I think it's more than that. Okay. I think there's another, there is another aspect. If you look at... The world of internal projects there is a lot of shininess yeah? what you have there olympic games is there anything shinier than olympic games yeah but most of the most of the project people today look at internal projects they say okay we have new products new services this is the future of the organization strategic alignment and all these big things that we have today change of mindset and change just change, yeah? change for the sake of change, maybe. Yeah? But this is all very, very shiny. Yeah? This brings you to big conferences as a speaker, as a keynote speaker, maybe. And you talk about big, big things. Now, when we talk about project business, we are just with a foot in the mud, with the, with the boots in the mud. Yeah? This is not shiny. This is about money. This is about um, how we survive project business. This is not the, the, the big things. It's the it's the day-by-day -day challenges that we have in project management, but it's the challenges most of our people have. And I think the job of people in associations, in academia, in literature, and wherever they are, their job is not to be shiny. Their job is to help practitioners um, master their daily jobs. And uh, the better they do that, I think they can make money with that and they can in the end shine with that as well but first of all our our audience our stakeholders should be in the in the in, the, in our focus and uh, we have to take care of them and of their challenges and of their needs and fears and wants and expectations and so on before we go to the shiny things yeah if we are good in doing the basics then we still can do the shiny things but we shouldn't begin with them Subject, uh, I just saw a message, so, uh, success is subjective. Yes, absolutely agree. Yeah, unless we have everyone aligned to the same vision. Fully agreed here. I think failure is objective and success is subjective. Yes. We're getting lots of comments. I, 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 I have some more cool. questions that we're getting from online. Here's one from ben, uh, Brent Peckover. Hey, Brent, I'll, I'll get back to you on your on your comment. Uh, thank you for joining us on the show. He's he's joining in from Ontario, Canada. And uh, the question he asked, uh, let me let me go back to his his first question. He says um, mission success and communication are critical. However, as a subcontractor, you don't always have control or the ability to influence the aspects yes. in other people's camps that needs to be addressed to increase odds of success. And let me just. Uh, add his his next thing. How do you, he says, how do you address control up and across the chain? Good question, Brent. Thank you for chiming Very in. Very good question. Yeah. We got a bit dragged away into a different topic with the question, what is a good contract? Because this is the question actually from the customer side. And our topic for today is the contract design. I wrote a book some years ago on project... 
Yes, on project business. Management, by the way, just have the opportunity to show my book here. Yeah. And when I wrote this book, my first idea was to write a book um, on contractor business. There was no book on that by that time. No one had a book on that, how to do a project that is that is profitable and so on. And the more I wrote, the more I noticed, hey, it's not sufficient. I want to discuss an interface, customer contractor interface. And if you want to understand an interface, and if you want to give people advice how to deal with an interface, you have to look at the interface from both directions. So it became a book that looks at the customer side of project business and the contractor side of project business. The question, um, Mission success first is actually a question more from the customer side than from the contractor side. But if you are a contractor and you see such a contract, I think it's very easy to identify. Is this a contract that is written to make my life difficult or is it a contract that has the mission of the project as it, in its focus? And I think that's something we easily see. So um, that's why this was my answer to the question. Um, from a subcontractor side, yes, of course, the influence that you have is limited and you're not the only subcontractor probably there. So others also fight for influence and uh, there is some competition on that. Yeah. Um, I think the point where you can increase your influence and where you can really try to achieve something positively is often when the project is in crisis. A project in crisis, more things are possible than a project that is just, just going, just running, just moving forward. In crisis, people are much more open. Their minds are much more open to good advice, good recommendations, how to bring the project back on track because that's their job. So uh, I think it's a matter of timing. It's a matter of the project situation, of course. Then as a subcontractor, of course, you have a contractor. And my first question would be, how is your relationship with your prime contractor on top of you? And you may be on the third tier. Yeah? There may be another one on top of your prime contractor, a prime, 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 prime contractor, if you like. We don't have such a word. Um, so you have to understand the structure. You have to understand the organizations involved. And uh, I would follow, it's not a chain of command. It's it's this supply chain upward. And I don't, don't like the word supply chain anyway. It's no chains. We have we have complex networks there. Yeah? But um, go up the tiers step by step um, and uh, try to work with the next tier to take some positive influence on the tier above. Unfortunately, you don't have much time to do that because your time in the project is limited. You have to be productive very, very quickly. So you don't, you may not even have enough time to really understand the structures because it takes time to research them and um, to meet all the people involved. And sometimes you don't even have time for that and maybe have have a drink together or so and, and, and have some some private talk to build some trust and some rapport there. And again, we often don't have the time for that. So it's a difficult task. But if we don't try it, um, we will not succeed in this at all, of course. And Time is flying by, isn't it, Christian? My gosh, yeah. I mean, I we could have this conversation for hours. I'm I'm fascinated by what I'm hearing from you, Oliver. Uh, one of the questions that I have for you, unless I'm stepping on an audience question, I don't mean to. We do have that. a bunch of audience <laughs> questions, yes. But but go All right. ahead. I want so I'll, I'll ask my I'll ask my question, and then we can we can we can get to the get to the audience questions. Uh, so. You know, while doing my research, uh, you know, Spencer mentioned in the bio, you've written two books. Uh, you just showed one of them. The other one's called Situation yes. Project Management, which, uh, and the premise of that is, hey, there really aren't quote unquote best practices, but there are situations where you may need to apply uh, certain principles or methods You've got to have things in a toolkit to address these situations. And so I'm curious, 
what was the genesis of this book? You know, what did you observe in your own work that led you to uh, define this concept of situational project management? It had several frustrations, areas of frustration. It may be a better word. Yeah, several areas of frustration. One area of frustration was the chaos report that most of you probably know. 70 roughly percent of projects fail. And then um, I looked at the definition of failure and they said, yeah, did the project meet the original intentions and requirements and so on. And then I did one of my first pieces of research in this field. It's not scientific research, it's market research. Yeah? But I asked people, um, how likely is it that the requirements and the expectations and the needs at the end of the project are the same as at the beginning? And the vast majority said, no, they are not the same. They are changing during the course of the project. So in such a situation, if someone would answer the question, did the project meet the original expectations? Um, and expectations have changed meanwhile, and requirements have changed meanwhile. If it met the original requirements, original expectations, I would say this project is failed because it didn't go with the change that happened there. So I thought this is a very, very inappropriate criterion. This was number one. Um, number two was that just at that time, a term came up and became stronger and stronger and stronger. And I find it wrong. And that's the term best practices. I think in project management, we don't have best practices. The same practice that is successful in one moment may fail in another moment. Yeah? We have to be situational and ask ourselves, okay, in this very specific project situation, what do I need to do? How do I need to behave? What are the practices that I should apply? And what are the practices that I should not apply in this moment? What is beneficial and what is detrimental? And this is the core topic of the book. And a third area, there's something we could have another meeting to meeting about um, is um, game theory, to bring in game theory into project management. And especially, by the way, in project business management, where it uh, is even more important than in internal projects, but it's somewhat relevant in both. So it also talks about, the book also talks about game theory and how to bring it into project management, something we don't discuss anywhere, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, I really like that. It's a very disruptive uh, principle that best practices are basically, you know, uh, because a best practice can fail in a different scenario, right? Is what you, was what you're saying. Exactly. So stop using exactly. that. Exactly. I, I really like that. Let me, let me share a few comments from, from the audience and question first from Nina uh, Kaur. Great work, Oliver, for raising funds. Your PMP material helped me to get through the certification. Thank you so much. Um, Manish. Great to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Manish. Hi from India. Uh, Monirul Islam. Hi, I'm from uh, Abu Dhabi. Wow, we got people calling in from all over. Um, and then Colleen Bynum says you had the best PMP study guide. Thank you. <laughs> uh, we also have Terhile Ikio saying, hi, Oliver, how about projects that are implemented internally to increase revenue generating potential? That's, that's, that's a classical internal project. That's a classical internal project. Yeah. The project is not a profit center. It creates a service. It creates a product, something we can sell in the future and make money with, but the project doesn't make the money. It hands something over to operations and then operations make the money with the results. Yes, that's an internal um, project. Now, I have a question, and maybe I missed the, the link, but Fola says, not sure, are projects the real force? And, and I asked her to clarify, do you know what maybe she was referring to? I have no idea what real force, what she means with real force. Well, um, the dark side of the force? <laughs> might be. Organizations leverage uh, projects to be profitable, and, and you know she's focused very much on, on you know, creating that that projects should be driving strategy in organizations that's one of her, her beliefs in an intern in the world of internal projects fully fully agreed absolutely right yes projects drive strategies and strategies um drive projects there is an there is an interaction between them and by the way in project business on customer side you typically have an internal 
project. Yeah. So there is no, no disagreement on that. But if you look at project business, strategy is not the biggest position. The biggest positions, the two, no, the three biggest positions are profitability, then protection of liquidity. We should never forget that. We we lay out money as contractors. And that's very antithetical to the whole cost center idea, isn't it, though? That's the, the profit center idea. It's not just the profit. It's also the cash flow. If we lay out too much money for the customer, we become illiquid and are no more able to make the customer happy. And customer happiness is the third aspect. And it's not just satisfaction. It's happiness. We want them to smile and to come back and bring friends with them. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think we got that. And uh, thank you, Brent, for for that clarification. So um, I have an, a question, Oliver, and that is, you know, we're talking really about in some ways we're talking about upskilling project managers to be more business minded. Um, that yes. is one of the things that, that must happen. So what strategies do you suggest for project managers to enhance their financial acumen and, and really better understand the economic implications of, of their projects? First of all, I think it's the job of organizations to do that. We have a problem today that many, especially young project managers, yeah, fresh people in project business, they have to learn it by trial and error. The problem with trial and error in project business is trial is expensive and error even more so. And another problem is it leaves customers frustrated and we don't want to frustrate customers. We want to have happy customers who come back for more and bring their friends with them. So we need people who are educated in that and who understand this very, very difficult balance between um, doing too much for a customer, doing not enough for a customer. Yeah? Um, we invest money in the customer. We lay out money. That's an investment in the end. Yeah? If we overinvest, we go insolvent. If we don't do enough, then we leave the customer frustrated. We'll not be able to do our job. So finding this very, very fine balance between doing too much and not enough. Yeah? By the way, that's a typical project management situation, navigating between monsters. We have a monster to the right, a monster to the left, and now we have to find our way between those. Um, but it's very special for a project business because it has the project management aspect, it has the financial aspect, and again, it has the legal aspect as well, the contractual aspect as well. Um, so we have to be careful what we say and what we write, not too much, but enough to be successful in the project. Sounds like a, a song. I get used Monsters to that. I will miss it. I will miss the jingle in my in my seminars. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a song, right? Monsters to the left of me, monsters to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle. With yeah, the exactly. Project, right. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, we have we, Christian. I, I know it's your turn. I love that we have so many in the audience that are are excited by this this topic. Fola's got another comment. I'm going to put that up in a second. But Mark has a, a I think a very good comment here. Projects, uh, projects deliver, implement strategy. Strategy drives the project portfolio, which projects uh, you should do and, and when. Um, is that, what would you say to that? That's the world of internal projects. Mark, yeah. this is not our topic, sorry. <laughs> I'm happy to hear from you, yeah? Don't take it personal. <laughs> but this is not the topic. This is the topic, what you describe is the topic of internal projects. This is what yeah. internal projects do. Now we talk about project business. We talk about projects that we do for other organizations and get paid for that. So money plays a role. Yeah? Timing of payments play a role. All these elements should be part of strategy, profitability, liquidity, growth. Yes, yes, to some degree, I agree. But to some degree, it is a very tactical thing. It's a, it's a thing that is true right now. Strategy is something I do for the future, but I have to survive today. Yeah? And today beats tomorrow. Yeah, I really, I really like that. And that's, you know, th that's a, the challenge that the business has. How do you balance strategically thinking to, for to, tomorrow and staying in business today because we may never get to tomorrow is what i hear you say 
we may never get no the, the tomorrow will come we don't have to get there it comes comes on its own <laughs> but we may it, not be a business a, tomorrow we don't have a problem with that it, <laughs> it, it comes on its own now we have to be prepared for the future but obviously we have to we have to do some 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 work to to be in business to stay in business today and we have to do some work to stay in business tomorrow the happy customer is something we have for tomorrow um liquidity the question of liquidity is something we have to today and profitability may be a topic of tomorrow most projects are loss makers customer projects are loss makers during their entire lifetime the contractor lays out money for the customer and it's the last payment that turns the project from a loss bringer to a profitable project or to bring in margins a project doesn't make a profit it brings a margin yeah we have some other costs in the organizations but um it brings a positive margin and it's may it may be the last payment that does that so profitability often is a matter of tomorrow and uh, the happy customer is for the day after tomorrow christian you got stuff uh, on your mind. So, so you know kind of one of those boots in the mud uh questions for you when it comes to project business then uh, become for me has always been the challenge of uh, of um, cost estimation, right? So when you are mm -hmm. negotiating these contracts, you you are relying on a set of assumptions that are baked into spreadsheets that uh, you know that inform you this this should be the cost of this project, and and oftentimes there are unknown things that that may influence uh, positively or negatively those assumptions and so uh, my question is what advice would you give to people who are in project business when it comes to uh estimating these costs you know because it's difficult on the one hand you want to be you want to be aggressive uh but on the other hand you you don't want to be uh pricing yourself out uh of a potential uh you know opportunity and so sometimes it's challenging to find that right uh approach to estimating your costs so that you can you know reliably bid for a project and 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 mitigate some of the risk that you just talked about which is what happens if the customer goes out of business right they're not happy and they don't pay me the final payment and so on and so forth so you know what what advice would you give to listeners who are in a project business who are grappling with the challenges of cost estimation when it comes to contracts. Yeah, first of all, make it clear to everyone, an estimate is an assumption with a number in. Yeah. So assumptions have the disadvantage, they may be wrong. So this is also true with estimates. And uh, you said sometimes there are uncertainties. There are, I think, always uncertainties. Project management very much is dealing with uncertainty. So this would be my next step based on the understanding that an estimate is an assumption with a number in. Uh, what do you do with assumptions? You feed them into your risk management process. So based on this understanding of uncertainty, have some kind of risk management process that helps you understand how to deal with certain certain risks some of these risks you just have to accept some of these risks you can mitigate or avoid or do anything else you like but have a clear understanding of the risks you are entering the second advice that i would give is there is a tendency that i saw in many contractor organizations when there is a an inquiry coming in or a request for proposal invitation to bid and so on by a potential customer. Don't, don't send offers to all of them. Be picky, be picky. Of course, you have to be in a situation that you can afford being picky, but leave the bad business to your competitors. Keep your competitors busy with bad business, where they have the losses, where they have the trouble, and uh, where they have the, the, the conflicts and the in the end, always the bad reputation of being a bad contractor because they did such a bad job. Leave this business to them so that they cannot compete that effectively for the good business with you. So that's another recommendation I give. Be very, very picky when you make the decision whether you want to send an offer or not. Be picky, don't do it with all of them. The background behind that is that, uh, that most organizations have a hit rate around 
10% hit rate means we have to send out 10 offers to have one new business, one new customer for our project business. And that's a very poor um, hit rate. Reason is we have competition. We have customers who may say, hey, we got now three, four offers from different vendors. They all describe some how, how they would do that. If we put this all together, we know how to do this. Now we know how to do this business and we don't need uh, vendors anymore. We don't need contractors anymore. We will do it internally. And there's a third competitor. They had an expectation they can do the project at 10 million euros. Now they found out the cheapest offer is 20 million euros. They don't have it in the budget. They don't have this expectation. So that's another thing that may happen that they just drop the whole thing. So that's where we have these 10% from. Now you have two ways to respond to that. One way, and I think it's the more common way, is send out more offers. Make sure that you have a steady stream of inquiries and of offers so that 10% in the end is quite a good number. Yes, this may work, but you get a lot of bad project business into your organization. Yeah? And you get a lot of business that you shouldn't do because it's not the customer to do business with. You don't want to do business with them. Yeah, um, It's not at a price that you need to do your business with. It keeps your people busy. Yeah, but it, it's not the price that you need. It doesn't bring the margin that you need. So my recommendation is be picky. Try to raise the hit rate from 10%. It's not that difficult to maybe 20, 25 percent. This is easily doable. And then with the better hit rate, have the better projects. Focus on those projects that are worth winning yeah? and understand and accept that we'll still have a hit rate of less than 50 percent. Yeah. Well, we're running out of time, but that is great advice for you. For those of you who are project contractors, it's it's advice for any good advice for anybody in any business is to only work with those customers that are the best to work with. Now that that means Oliver, in my opinion, that you have to be the best at what you do in order to uh, turn down that Absolutely. business. Because there are, there are some project uh, contractors that are going to be grabbing everything that's available to them just because they're desperate. But when you're coming from that desperate standpoint, uh, you're not going to be able to compete. But uh, great, yeah. great, great advice. Um, I had more. I have so I think we got through maybe 30 percent of the questions I had, Christian. So we have uh, so much more to talk about. I know we got to cut short, but thank you so much to everyone who commented. Andre Koenig, thank you for your well wishes. Rahul Pai, thank you for your comments. Torben Mauch, thank you for clarifying uh, Khalid Madini, um, I like this one. Projects are the business. Uh, Just so a second. I lost contact to you. I hope you can still hear me. But I yes, we can hear and see you. you. Just yeah, no, we can hear. We can hear you. So yep. <laughs> I have a reserve speaker here. Yeah, we can, can hear you. Can you hear us? We can hear you. <laughs> Alles gut. Christian? Well, yep. it looks like Oliver's having some technical issues with his audio. Can you hear us now? Oh, he did he just drop to, off? Yeah, he dropped off. He'll probably hop back on in just a second. All right. Well, let's do our wrap up here. <laughs> uh, this was a fascinating uh, conversation, Spencer. I'm really grateful to you arranging it. Uh, if people want to learn more about how you can help organizations develop high-performing teams, what's the best way for people to connect with you? LinkedIn. I love that the, so many of you are connecting with me on LinkedIn. I get questions every day. Uh, so thank you for that. Also, Nina Cowers, you know, thank you for your recognition of, of, of Oliver's work. And how about you? How can You always have the great insight into projects. How can people learn more about your project management and, and project leadership experience? Uh, same way, LinkedIn. Just look me up on LinkedIn and uh, you'll find me there. Happy to connect with anyone. And uh, if we don't get Oliver back, uh, which looks likely now because of the technical issues, uh, we thank you, Oliver. Thank you for joining us today and sharing your knowledge and insights. And a special thank you and Happy New Year to all of those who joined us on this uh on, on, on our conversation today. What a, what a wonderful, uh, uh, what a wonderful blessing it was to have so many people, uh, 
engaged in our conversation. So thank you all. Listeners, viewers, please like and subscribe to our podcast, and we will catch you again soon. More great, more great guests to come, Christian. Who do we have next? Oh my goodness! I, I, I have, not uh, in in the future. See, I'm all sp- sputtering, and we have Jack's um, Scott who will be coming. Oh, and, she's and, awesome. Yep, and she's been on here before. Oh, there he is. Um, we got to say goodbye. I'm so glad we we waited a second. He's in the green room. Um, and then we have uh, Tavia Sharp who's going to be talking to us in in the future. Um, we're so glad you made it back. We wanted to say goodbye. Any, <laughs> any parting words? We could hear you, Oliver. I'm sorry that that was. Anyway, we, we are thanking you so much. How can people, if they want to get a hold of you, how can they reach you, Oliver? Of course, through LinkedIn. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Ask me your questions. Send me your questions. Um, then uh, I have a website, oliverlayman.com. Very easy to find. Yeah, oliverlayman.com, just Oliver Lehman. So dash in between ourselves. And uh, I have another one which is called the project, which is called project-business.org, my project business foundation, my little think tank that I have. And, uh, I think three ways is enough. <laughs> I'm trying to get all these last minute comments on the show. And uh, thank you all for for chiming in and for all your comments. All right, here we go. Thank you. Hang on, uh, Oliver, as we say goodbye. Goodbye.